All right. Some few of you, yeah. So like, like every week, there uh, were great moments and not so great moments this week. The, the worst, probably the worst moment of my week was, was last night. I'm a big North Carolina Tar Heels fan and, and sat there and watched them be in control of the whole game and then lose in overtime was very frustrating. And that was the down moment of, of my week. Now, Major League Baseball pitchers and catchers report this week. So all is right again with the, with the world. But real, one of the best moments of my week was yesterday, snow day with the family. Wasn't that great? I mean, it was just so refreshing. It's like when the snow starts falling, we all become kids again, and we all just kind of tune out everything that's going on, and we just play. <laughs> and it was so refreshing, so good. I, I cook. I can cook two things. I can cook popcorn on the stove, like with uh, canola oil, and I mean, I'll, I'll let you know my recipe later. Uh, we can talk after, maybe at the next step station. Um, but... <laughs> But then also, once a year, I get to cook, I get to make snow cream for my family and for my neighbors. And so just at the point before yesterday, I was doubting if I could make any contribution to this world, if I could make any difference in the world, I get this opportunity to make snow cream and bless my family and neighbors. So that was exciting as well. But before yesterday, before yesterday, the great moment of my week happened at Panera Bread on Wednesday morning with a meeting uh, with an Iranian friend who's a Christian who's a follower of Jesus. And I asked him to share his story with me. And so he did. He said, 20 years ago, I was in Iran, and I was a Muslim, who, he said, I was depressed, I was discouraged, I was miserable. He was physically sick with a kidney problem, but he's also spiritually sick because he viewed God as this teacher who grades on some kind of scale, right? And so do good, maybe hopefully more good than bad, and maybe you'll be okay. And there was no peace, no joy in his life because he never knew if he was being good enough or doing good enough in order to earn God's favor or acceptance. And one day, a Christian friend in Iran invited him to a Christian church service in Iran. And so he heard things about God and Jesus that he had not heard before. And he began seeking God, really, for the first time. Then one morning at 6 a.m., Jesus Christ appeared to him in a vision, in a dream. And Jesus was face-to-face with him. And Jesus said to him, you will never die. Follow me. So my friend, at that point, surrendered to Jesus and began following Jesus. And from that point forward, he had a right standing with God. He still has a right standing with God. And that right standing with God led to living for God. All of a sudden, he had peace and joy in his life because he was no longer separated from God. He was no longer wrong with God. And by the way, within 20 hours, his kidney problem had completely healed. Now, 20 years later, he's still serving and living for Jesus. He has been persecuted for his faith. His family has been persecuted for for their faith. He has not seen his family in 20 years. But they FaceTime each and every day. He had to flee to Malaysia as a refugee where he found a church, got plugged in, started serving, actually helped to lead the church where they sent over 400 people around the world to be witnesses for Christ. Moved from Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia, back to, or here. 
got plugged into a church here, and he actually helps lead one of our churches, our Iranian church partner in Alpharetta. And get this, each and every week, he uses Facebook to lead worship and teach a Bible study for over 5,000 Iranians throughout Europe and the Middle East. That's a powerful story about how a person went from a wrong standing with God, separation from God, to being right with God. It's a powerful story about God's commitment to save, to change, to transform a person's life. Do you know God is a committed God? And he's committed to what he cares about, like all of us, right? (laughs) What does he care about? He cares about all creation. He cares about all the details of our lives. He cares about a lot of things. He's most committed to what what he cares about the most. What does he care about the most? He cares that people have a right relationship with him so that they can live for him in every area of their lives. That's what he cares about the most. So God's greatest commitment is to lead people like you and like me to be right with him so that we can live for him in the home, in the neighborhood, in the school, in the workplace, on the basketball court, or on the baseball fields. And knowing that this is God's greatest commitment is so significant, so important. In fact, today we're going to look at what church leaders throughout history have called the most important paragraph in the Bible. Martin Luther, one of the most well-known church leaders in history, said that this, what we're looking at today is the chief point of the entire Bible. And I think you would agree with me that the Bible is the most important resource in all of history. So what we're looking at today is very significant. What's the big deal? The big deal is that we have to get this right. We have to understand what it means to have a right standing with God so that we can be in a right relationship with him. Because being right with God means that we're no longer trying to earn acceptance or love from God. Instead, we accept his grace and we're amazed at what he's done for us. Being right with God means that we're not bitter or angry with people. Instead, we seek to be right with other people, honoring God and how we treat them. Being right with God means that we're not proud or arrogant or entitled. We're actually humble and grateful to God for what he's done for us. Being right with God means that we long to see other people right with God because we want them to have the joy and the peace and the purpose that we have, not just for this life, but for all of eternity. Now, the reason that God is so committed to this is because he's a righteous God. So we're in this series about who God is, and we've looked at God as Father, God as Son, God as Spirit. Today, God is righteous. Now, what in the world, what does that mean? Let me give you a definition so that we're all on the same page before we dig in to the most important paragraph in the Bible. Okay, here's the definition of God being righteous or description. God is righteous means this, that God is committed to do what is right, and we'll look at specifically what he did today. God is committed to do what is right so that you can be right with him. God is committed to do what is right so you can be right with him. Because God knows that we can't get right with him ourselves. We, he knows that we're wrong with him. He knows that we have a wrong standing with him. So he's committed to do whatever it takes, whatever is necessary, so that we can be right with him. So here we go. Romans 3, starting with verse 21 We're going to look at the ultimate example of God showing or demonstrating his righteousness. 
Here we go, verse 21. But now, all right, let's, let's stop there. <laughs> so up to this point in Romans, Romans 1, Romans 2, first, first half of Romans 3, Paul has actually talked about how unrighteous everybody is. How we don't give glory to God, how we don't give thanks to God. No one is righteous, no, not one. That's what he's talked about. Now he writes, but now, which means there's some breaking news coming, something that was new in that day and something that's great for us today as well. So, but now, let's read on. God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. So we are not right with God because of our unrighteousness. Paul had argued that before. He's about to share that again. But God has done something to show us that he is righteous and that he's committed to do what is right so we can be right with him because otherwise we just stay separate, separate from him and we stand guilty before him. So it says the apostle Paul comes along right here and says, breaking news, you may be unrighteous, but guess what? God is righteous and he has done something amazing for you so that you can be in right standing with him. This is so, so good. All right, let's read on. Verse 22, we are made right with God by being a good person. Does your translation say that? No? Let's try this one. We are made right with God by following religious rules. No? We are made right with God by being born into a Christian family. No, none of that. Here's what it says. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are, for everyone has sinned, we all fall short of God's glorious standard. The bad news is that everybody has sinned. Now, what is sin? Sin is not loving God or living for God like we should. So God being righteous is perfect. His standard is perfect. He's holy. And we are unrighteous because we do not live up to that standard. That's the bad news. And we deserve to be punished for our sin. We stand guilty before him. That's the bad news. And we've all done it every moment of every day of our lives. We're not perfect. We all admit that. We know that. So here's, we're created in the image of God. And because we're created in the image of God, we are made, and we know this down deep, we know that we're made to have this relationship with God. But we know something's wrong there. We know that we're not right with God because of our sin. And so here's what we try to do. We try to make up for it. We try to play the performance game. We try to follow the performance plan. Here's, here's, here's what the performance plan looks like. So this is God's original design. His, his, he created us to be right with him, to be with him, to be in right standing with him. But we all fall short of that standard. We all sin. We all treat God with disrespect at times, or we don't give him the honor he deserves. And so sin separates us. Our sin separates us from a righteous God. Now, here's where the performance plan comes in. So we end up trying to do good things in order 
to somehow be more loved or accepted or gain God's favor. That's the performance game. Or we try to do good, good works, or we try to do more good than bad, or we try to we practice religious things. I, I had a conversation with a, a guy, a Chevron down the street the other day, and we were talking about what it looks like, what it means to have peace with God. And I, I asked him point blank, I said, so how do you get right with God? And he said, well, I just, I just try to do right. That was his answer. The problem with that is, <laughs> we're sinners. And so we can't do enough good to bring us to God, to get back to God. The best, probably the best man I ever, I ever knew was my granddad Lundy. I'm sure he did wrong at some point, <laughs> but I never saw it. One of those guys, right? I mean, my hero, my spiritual hero. Well, even granddad Lundy Let's put him right here. I mean, he still falls short of God's righteous standard. Think about the, 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 the best person you've ever known. They fall short. It doesn't matter how good you think they are. They all fall short. The Apostle Paul who wrote this, what we're talking about today, he's the greatest missionary other than Jesus, wrote most of the New Testament. He called himself the chief of sinners, now, let's put the Apostle Paul maybe right here. He still falls short. So the Apostle Paul or Granddad Lundy or you or me, we, Kobe Bryant, we all fall short of God's righteous standard. We can't get back on our own. That's the bad news. But there's good news, isn't there? That God actually did something because his, he's committed to do what's right so we can be right with him. So let's read on. What did God do? Romans 3, 24. Yet God, in his what? Grace, in his grace, freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty for our sins. For God presented Jesus as a sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. Yet God in his grace. What is grace? Grace is God giving us what we don't deserve. So we deserve separation from God. Yet God wants us to, to be with him, wants us to be reconciled with him. And he offers eternal life with him. We deserve eternal punishment. Because of our sin. Yet God sent Jesus to pay that punishment for us. We deserve hell, yet God provides a way to heaven. We deserve absolutely nothing, if we're honest with ourselves. We deserve nothing, yet God offers us everything. Why? Because he is a righteous God, and he is committed to do what is right, namely, put our sin on his son, on the cross, so that we can have a right standing with him. That's good news. That's grace. And so the opposite of the performance plan is the grace plan. Here's what the grace plan looks like. So God created us to have a relationship with him, yes, but that sin, our sin, your sin, my sin, separates us from God. But God sent Jesus, lived a perfect life, died in our place, paid the punishment that we deserve in order to bring us to God. And for those who surrender to Jesus, who say, all right, I am, I am no longer following the performance plan. 
I know that's not going to work. Instead, I'm going to to put my trust, put my faith in Jesus. I'm going to turn from my sin, and I'm going to start following Jesus. I know what he did for me on the cross. I know that I can't bring myself to God, and so that I'm going to follow. I'm going to put my trust. I'm going to surrender to Jesus. And when we do that, here's what Jesus does. Jesus brings us to God so that we now can be in right standing with God him but it's only through the cross it's only through what jesus has done for us and not what we do there's nothing we can do it's only what god has done that's the grace plan it's as if it's as if the cross is god's righteousness and love on ultimate display <laughs> And that's what makes the good news such good news. Let's read on. Romans 3, 26. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness, for he himself is fair and just. He makes sinners right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. And so for those who believe in Jesus, who surrender to Jesus, Jesus brings us back to God, so there's no more condemnation. There's no more guilt. There's no more separation. There's no more punishment. Jesus took on the punishment for us. Instead, there's peace, and there's joy, and there's hope, and there's reconciliation with God. Pastor Bob already read this, but I want us to read this together because this sums it up very well. 1 Peter 3.18, let's read this out loud together. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. So let's face it. Our greatest need is not to be better people or more moral people. Our greatest need is not to be the kind of parents or grandparents that raise well-behaved kids or grandkids. That's not our greatest need. Our greatest need is to be right with God. And our only hope is in a God who is righteous. Our only hope is in a God who is committed to do what is right. Again, put our sin on his son on the cross so that we can be right with him. He is our only hope. So what what do you do? What are you going to do with this glorious news? What are you going to do with the most important paragraph in the history of the world? With the most amazing news in the history of the world? Let me give you three honest questions that we all need to ask ourselves this morning. I'll put them in your message notes if you want to follow along. But number one, am I following the performance plan or the grace plan? Am I following the performance plan or the grace plan? I was in London, England a few months ago, and whenever I'm there, along with some people from our church, whenever I'm there, I love to take groups just for a few hours on this church history tour, right? And my favorite place to, to visit is a church where John Newton was the pastor. John Newton was captain of slave ships and a horrible man in his own description, yet God radically turned his life around, changed his life. He, he began to, to pastor this, this church. But he's most known for writing the the song that is probably the most popular, probably the most recorded song in the history of music, a song called Amazing Grace. I 
took a little video clip of us singing it in that church where John Newton pastored. Watch this. Amazing grace, how what, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm what, found, was blind, but now I see. (laughs) That is the grace plan anthem. And those who have received God's grace, they they sing that, and they never get tired of singing that. (laughs) Now, did you know the performance plan has an anthem as well? Uh, I rewrote the lyrics to the tune of Amazing Grace this week. And here are the lyrics to the performance plan anthem. We don't have to sing it, but here's, here's it. Amazing works, how hard I try, and hope God will accept me. No, I'm not lost. I'm pretty good. I'm better than some you see now which song are you singing don't leave here today singing the performance plan anthem (laughs) surrender your life to Jesus put your trust in him stop relying on your own works receive his grace and you will be singing amazing grace for the rest of your life and you'll never get tired of it paul david tripp sums up what we're talking about the difference between grace and works like this look watch this or look at this there is only one portal to acceptance with god the righteousness of christ his righteousness is given over to our account sinners are welcomed into the presence of a holy god based on the perfect obedience of another jesus Christ is our hope, Christ is our rest, Christ is our peace. He continues, he perfectly fulfilled God's requirement so that in our sin, weakness, and failure, we would never again have to fear God's anger. This is what grace does. So as the children of grace, we obey as a service of worship, not in a desperate attempt to do what is impossible, independently earn God's favor. Are you following the performance plan? Or the grace plan? And that leads us to the second question. Am I honoring God in my relationships? Am I honoring God in my relationships? You say, well, if I can just believe and have a right standing with God, well, I'm good to go then, right? Well, no. (laughs) Because a right standing with God leads to right living, leads to right relationships with others. And we have to get the order right. 1 John 2.29. If you know that he is righteous, talking about God. If you know that he is righteous, you know this as well. Everyone who does what is right has been born of him. So here's the right order. We're born again, which causes us, enables us to believe and to put our faith in Jesus and surrender to him. When we do that, we have a right standing with God. We have a right relationship with God. And then that right relationship with God leads to holy, righteous living in every area of our lives. Let me break it down for you. So a husband who is right with God honors God 
by doing what is right for his wife. A wife who is right with God honors God by doing what is right for her husband. Parents who are right with God honor God by doing what is right for their kids. And not perfectly, but we seek to do what God wants. We seek God's purposes for our kids. Neighbors who are right with God seek to honor God by doing what is right for their neighbors. People in the workplace who are right with God seek to do what is right, honor God by doing what is right for their co-workers. Those who are on social media who are right with God will honor God by what they post and how they interact on social media. Am I honoring God in my relationships? And question number three, am I working with my church to promote the grace plan? Am I working with my church to promote the grace plan? I was in Florida last week for a conference. I had a great conversation with my Uber driver uh, about God. We were talking about uh, what it means to have a relationship with God, and he was sharing with me about his family. And, and here's what he said. He said, I, I believe in Jesus. He said, I, I'm even a follower of Jesus, but my wife is, does not believe in Jesus. She likes Jesus, but she adds a bunch of other things to Jesus as well. And, and that's okay. She's a good person. And here's what he said. He said, I have no business telling her that she needs to believe in Jesus in order to be right with God. But you see, his view of God does not lead him to be concerned about his wife's need for grace and his wife's need for a right standing with God. But a right view of God should drive us to promote grace. If we really believe that God is righteous and that God is committed to do what is right, punish our sin on the cross so that we can be right with him, then we're going to tell everybody because we have this life-changing message. And it's, it is for everybody, Right? It's not just for you. It's not just for me. It's not just for those of us in this room or in this church. It's not just for those of us in this community. It's not just for a particular culture. It's a message for everybody. It's a message for the whole world. And we're not alone in this mission. The mission has a church. And God has set it up. He's just set it up this way, and he knows what he's doing. (laughs) He set it up so that... The mission is accomplished through the church. So why do we gather in this room every week? To be equipped and encouraged to promote the grace plan. That's why we're here. Why do we meet in connect groups every week? To be equipped and encouraged to share the grace that we have received. Why do we want our kids and our grandkids in their worship environments, in their worship gatherings, in their small groups, in the ministries of this church, so that they can be equipped and encouraged to tell their friends about what Jesus has done on the cross? Let me give you just a practical step this morning. Two weeks from today, we are having our annual missions fair. So February 23rd. And when you, when you come here, you will see a table full of, I mean, a lobby full of tables, probably over 25 tables, representing our different mission partners here locally and also our global city partners. It's a great opportunity for you, your family, your connect group to, to get connected with these partners, to learn about what they're doing and how you can be involved in what God is doing in and through them. So two weeks from today, February 23rd, we'll even have cotton candy and uh, popcorn with a fair atmosphere, right? Missions fair, be there. I'm going to say missions fair, you say be there. Missions fair, one more time. Missions fair, 
Good, all right. Now, can you imagine if we built our lives on the most important paragraph in the Bible? Can you imagine if we built our lives on the most amazing news in the history of the world? This news that God is righteous and that God has done what he has done so that we could be right with him, so, so that we could have a relationship with him. And if we build our lives on this news, we will have peace and joy and hope in all our circumstances. If we build our lives on this news, we're no longer going to try to earn God's favor. We're not going to be driven by performance. We'll be driven by grace. If we build our lives on this news, we will be right with God, yet also right with others. If we build our lives on this news, we will give ourselves away to the work of the church. Taking this message of the righteousness of God and salvation through Jesus all over the world. Why would we not build our lives on this news? Why would we not build our families on this news? Why would we not want everybody around us to build their lives and to build their families on this news?